Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the land. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Blessed are the clean of heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are they who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Welcome to our podcast series for St. Patrick Catholic Community on the Beatitudes. This is John Konachek, Director of Adult Formation and Parish Spirituality. The purpose of each of these podcasts is to invite us to a deeper understanding of the Beatitudes and then to seek ways that they can help to shape our Christian discipleship. Through praying with the Beatitudes, we ask God to touch our hearts so that we might pattern our lives in a way that most genuinely echoes Jesus' message of love and hope given us in the Gospels. Blessed are the clean of heart, for they will see God. For this beatitude, the message seems rather straightforward. It is commonly interpreted to mean that those who live a clean life will be rewarded with an experience of the beatific vision. Good people will see good things. But with this sixth beatitude, as with all the beatitudes, as with all scripture, we seek to gain better understanding of our sacred texts than just what appears on the surface. The important Vatican II document, De Verbum, or the Word of God, and another document issued by Pope Benedict called Verbum Domini, or the Word of the Lord, both emphasize the need to use critical study of the Bible as well as the importance of careful biblical interpretation for a community of faith. So we will investigate the meaning of the first half of this beatitude on the pure of heart, and then we will follow that with the second half of what Matthew is indicating by seeing God. Finally, we will take both parts together to see how it offers us a path for discipleship or for living out our faith as followers of Christ. In this sixth beatitude, the first part refers to the cardia, the Greek word for heart. Of course, the meaning is much deeper than just one of the human body's organs. The heart is often associated with our feelings or thoughts. Essentially, the heart refers to what is at our core. Matthew makes several references to the heart in his gospel. For him, it is the inner source of outward speech and outward behavior. The heart, in Matthew's gospel, is also the realm for inner reflection. Even in the Old Testament, the heart seems to clearly represent the true self, to be the origin of who one really is. The heart is also seen as the place of authentic knowledge, for one truly understands with the heart in ways far deeper than with the mind. The initial tendency with this beatitude is to associate the meaning of a clean heart with spiritual purity, that those who have a pure heart are holier people than those who do not. 
that those whose hearts somehow focus only on God are better people than those whose hearts are corrupted. While we don't want to discount the value of the desire for spiritual purity, what comes to mind is folks in remote monasteries who remain in their cells praying nonstop. Although prayerfulness is something that all Christians should practice in their daily lives, and so create a deep relationship with God, that practice alone doesn't necessarily achieve the purity of heart that Jesus is describing in Matthew's Gospel. Pure of heart, for Matthew, seems to head much more in the direction of how what is happening on the inside of a person needs to match what is seen on the outside of a person. Once again, the context of Matthew's beatitude helps us to understand more deeply the message that Jesus is offering us as disciples. And like the other Beatitudes, there is an Old Testament source. The reference from the Old Testament to pure of heart is found in Psalm 24. Who may go up to the mountain of the Lord? Who can stand in this holy place? The clean of hand and pure of heart. Who has not given his soul to useless things what is in vain? He will receive blessings from the Lord and justice from his saving God. This psalm reveals that those with a pure or clean heart are contrasted with those who exhibit deceit or falsehood. This perspective gives us a little more clarity around the term as it is used by Matthew. Given the placement of this beatitude within the Sermon on the Mount, the interpretation of the clean heart suggests a direct connection between the inside and the outside, between one's heart and one's actions. Father Daniel Harrington, a leading scripture scholar, I think best grasps Matthew's thought. Pure in heart points to neither external purity nor single-heartedness alone, but to a sense of integrity between one's interior life and external actions. This sixth beatitude, blessed are the clean of heart, is about integrity. We often describe integrity as something that is personal or individual, but pure of heart involves more than personal integrity. Taken in isolation or individually, the verse may pronounce a blessing on any whose virtue is genuine and uncorrupted. But within the context of Matthew's other Beatitudes, we are guided to understand integrity as a virtue that is displayed on behalf of others. As a pronouncement spoken within the community gathered on that hillside, the blessing is primarily for those who, with integrity, exhibit the other Beatitude virtues, such as showing mercy and making peace. Indeed, Only those who possess such an integrity are willing to live in a way that clearly shows the connection between what is in their hearts and what their actions reveal. One of the wonderful ministries we have at St. Patrick's is our Life Teen program. Those who lead our youth are particularly focused on developing in our young people the spirit of this sixth beatitude. We're very fortunate to have Scott Bagshaw, who is the coordinator of Life Teen High School Youth Ministry and College Life here at St. Patrick's, to tell us a little bit about Life Teen 
and how he works to help our youth develop a true sense of Christian integrity. Thanks, John. The Life Teen program truly has changed my life. Uh, for those that don't know about Life Teen, Life Teen is a Catholic youth ministry program for high school teens. Life Teen was started in 1985 in Tempe, Arizona, and now Life Teen is in over 25 countries and over 1,800 parishes all over the globe. And I really attribute Life Teen and my experience of Life Teen in the program, that's the main reason why I am unapologetically Catholic and living out my faith today. Life Teen and the people there, they really helped me fall in love with the Eucharist, Mary, the church, and her powerful teachings of love and of mercy. From when I was in high school attending Life Teen to present day, I have seen tremendous transformation take place in the lives of our teenagers. I know one thing, teens, they desire truth. They don't want it watered down. They are attracted to authenticity and they know truth when they hear it. That is why the gospel is so transforming. They hear truth in God's word, and then they desire to act. Uh, They're also attracted to joy. I found out a while ago that there is a flag that's referred to as the royal standard that is flown at the royal residence only when the queen is present. And in the same way, it's been said that the flag that flies over a Christian heart to signify that the King, Christ, is home, is the flag of joy. And teens love to have fun. And we must help teens today be able to have fun and be joyful and break down those walls, but also help them really know that they are loved and they are accepted. And one of the best ways to do this is to be a person of great joy. I think One of the biggest things that teens struggle with today is really identity. Uh, Teens put themselves in categories or groups, right? There's the jocks, there's the smart kids, there's the theater kids, those in band, those just sit home and binge Netflix. Um, But Life Teen ministers to every category of high school youth. And when they come together at Life Teen, the goal is to not see themselves in these categories, but simply see themselves as children of God, because that is our core identity. All, we all have the same Father in heaven, right? That's why we all pray our Father. And at Life Teen, we look at what we believe as Catholics. We look at the moral teachings of the church, sacraments, and prayer. And in our culture, we find that we need to look more closely, truly at who Jesus is and who we are in light of his identity and what he has done for us. And these life nights, as we call them, They give teens an opportunity to really take a good look at their lives and really reflect on things that matter most in this world. I believe one of the most powerful things that we do with Life Teen is retreats because it's on retreats that we're able to move from the busyness of our lives. We're able to truly unplug and move from our heads to our hearts. And it is on retreats that we often move from that formation of the mind to the transformation of the heart. And incredible transformation happens when a teen has an opportunity to truly encounter Christ. And you can see this in them. Teens desire a deep morality to become people of great integrity. And once they've encountered Christ, 
everything starts to click in their world. It doesn't make it easy, but they know Christ is traveling with them on this journey, and they know that they are never alone. They also have their life team community, which is absolutely essential because we all need that support of our brothers and sisters. So once teens have experienced the Holy Spirit, they realize that it is the Spirit, the very breath of God that is in them, and that they desire to develop a deeper interior life. And when they find this out and they start discovering this interior life, their prayer increases. Uh, The way that they start viewing themselves is more positive. Their self-talk changes, and they just thirst for more quiet time with God. They thirst for coming into, um, in communion with Him um, in the Mass. So essentially, they start growing in a deeper awareness of self and in growing in that, that powerful nature that we call the interior life of where God is leading them. When God converts our hearts, God shows us who we are. And in this process, he reveals in a deeper way who he is. So the interior conversion brings out an exterior change, right? This is metanoia, a change that is occurring um, within them. Um, This is a turning from old ways into new. It's kind of like a car. If you have a car and it's not moving, then it's really hard to change direction, right? But if you have a car that's moving, then it's a lot easier to change the direction. You just turn the wheel. And many people think teens are going in the wrong direction. But what they really need is mentors living the faith, introducing them to Jesus, showing them how they can turn the wheel. That's what we're doing at Life Teen. Um, We're just teaching them how to turn the wheel. And lives are changing because the teens, again, desire that truth. I have seen so many teens that have come to Life Teen and they maybe are really closed off. They're afraid to talk to other teens. They're afraid to talk to our core leaders and they're afraid of being judged. Um, They're afraid of being vulnerable maybe in any way. And so they're so guarded and they don't just have a physical wall up around their hearts, right? Or the metaphorical wall, I guess you should say, but um, they have this wallop around their entire being. There's actually an exterior posture that many of them take. Um, they take on this exterior posture of like almost being curled up on themselves. But once community is built and they start feeling more comfortable with their environment, they realize that they are loved, they end up sharing more, they're more apt to play and be goofy, um, then they're more open to entering into various forms of prayer experience, right? We call it the pre-evangelization phase. We're breaking them down to be able to really be able to listen and hear the word of God in a different way. And then teens begin to be open to the idea that they might just need a savior. The interior posture of their hearts, it starts to shift. And you can even see this then and then their exterior posture. Um, because the interior change always promotes exterior change. One of the most powerful things I've ever witnessed is when a teen's interior life of prayer and of service and of love starts manifesting itself so clearly in their words and in their actions. There is something special um, you find when you're around these teens, right? There's a true peace, and then there's an overwhelming joy. Um, Two things that we need a lot more of in this world. When we say one thing and we do another, 
like we're at odds with ourself and with our values, with our morals. And when they don't line up, um, when our words don't line up with our actions, right, we have this internal war, right? We never have peace. So I would challenge all of us this Lent um, at this time in our lives to really ask, how is our interior life? Are we at peace with who we are and who God has designed us to be? And finally, are the external manifestations that we are producing or putting out into this world a true reflection of our identity as a child of God? Because, as we know, blessed are the clean of heart, for they will see God. Thank you, Scott, for sharing with us your ministry with our youth. Now let's move on to the second half of the Beatitude. The blessing pronounced on the clean of heart is that they will see God. This promise is commonly understood as a reference to the end of time, when the righteous will be welcomed into the kingdom and will presumably enjoy the intimacy of God's presence in a way that is not possible here on earth. Such a blessing is an appropriate reward for the clean of heart because they are people who are truly pleasing to God. But in the context of the broader theology so focused on community found in Matthew's Gospel, many scripture scholars offer an interpretation that calls for something more than simply an individual reward. Rather than themselves actually seeing God, those who are clean of heart are the ones who have offered the world a vision of what is godly. So the reward for living with Christian integrity is that others will receive a glimpse of the goodness that God offers and will, in turn, live in ways that offer the goodness of God to even more of God's people. So what kind of challenges to integrity do we face today as a church? Alan Sell, in his book, Aspects of Christian Integrity, identifies honesty and wholeness as principal meanings of integrity. And while these two meanings are rather self-evident in their own regard, integrity, embraced in its completeness, conveys a sense of personal congruence, a correspondence between one's private and public selves. In his book on the Beatitudes, Father Lucas Chan cites the sex scandal and cover-ups by the Catholic hierarchy as a significant contradiction to gospel integrity found in our sixth beatitude. The cover-up reveals hypocrisy that points to a severe discrepancy between what is publicly asserted as moral guidance, while the hidden actions are something completely different. The problem that Father Chan expresses is that the claimed public responsibilities of moral leadership declared by the bishops have landed in distinct contrast to the behaviors and actions that have come to light in the past 15 years. One example of the claimed authority was offered by a Midwest bishop in the late 1990s, stating that bishops must stand in opposition to today's moral promiscuity and confront the countless obstacles to the moral life. Yet many Catholics have identified the severe discrepancy between what some bishops have declared about how Catholics should behave on the outside and then what those same bishops have done in secret 
in an attempt to hide and cover up. A few of the bishops have been heroic in addressing the problem of clergy sexual abuse of children, but other bishops' behavior emerges in sharp contrast to the sixth beatitude. The life of Christian integrity called for on behalf of others has been discarded. Certainly within my lifetime, one of the great leaders of the church who did show profound Christian integrity was Pope John XXIII. Here was a pope who was courageous and forward-thinking and who even possessed a sense of humor. When asked how many people worked at the Vatican, he famously replied, about half of them. Pope John XXIII was responsible for envisioning and convening the Second Vatican Council. His hope for a better church was met with severe opposition by some of the Curia, especially Cardinal Alfredo Ottaviani. But he persevered for the sake of the church. During the council itself, Pope John's strong desire was that the church would be able to address head-on the challenges faced by the modern world. Ecumenism, liturgy and sacraments, issues of justice, and the role of lay people were all important to Pope John, and he felt it was essential for the church to be able to discuss them openly without the members of the Curia placing obstacles in the way. Participation was essential to the theology of St. John. He believed that liturgy better expresses the mystery of the church insofar as everyone takes part. So the more who take part, the better. For St. John the Twenty-Third, Christian integrity started on the inside. His writings reveal that he never felt he was quite holy enough. He felt that he wasn't quite living up to his faith as he should. In his personal journals, we get a glimpse of what was taking place in his heart. And there, we meet a man of great humility, surprisingly delighted at how well people liked him, and surprised that he had even been chosen for the papacy. At the center of it all, with peace and tranquility, stood the amiable and humble John. He was a big-hearted man and a person of God who gained the confidence and affection of people everywhere. And why? Because when people encountered him, they encountered his loving heart. They encountered the inside. What people saw on the outside was his generosity, his compassion, and his humility, all that was the result of what was taking place on the inside. One observer reported that when he was with people, his eyes twinkled with happiness, his focus never left the person with whom he was speaking, and his lips offered only affirmation and affection. We will close our podcast on the Sixth Beatitude with a couple of quotes from St. John the Twenty-Third. And as we reflect on them, let us ask St. John the Twenty-Third to inspire us as we struggle with being people of Christian integrity. Pope John the Twenty-Third said, Saints aren't so much superstars of holiness as they are humble sinners ready to allow God to love them just as they are. 
Another one of my favorites is, consult not your fears, but your hopes and your dreams. Think not about your frustrations, but about your unfulfilled potential. Concern yourself not with what you tried and failed in, but with what is still possible for you to do. As part of our path to Christian integrity as a faith community, we have invited Father Kevin O'Brien to speak with us on Monday, March 25th. The title of his talk will be, The Body of Christ is Broken, The Urgency of Lay Leadership in Healing the Church. It begins at 7 p.m. We hope that many will be able to be present as we take further steps to integrity as a church.